The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. The, uh, the teaching focus, in case you're wondering, uh, for this uh, conference has been the gospel-centered marriage. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but that's what we've been, every, every message, we've been, we've been taking it back to the gospel. You know, we, we looked in 1 Corinthians 7, we looked in Genesis 2, Genesis 3, and then now uh, we're going to look in Ephesians 5. So if you want to, you, you look in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 15, go through the end of the uh, chapter. Um, or it's going to be on the screen. If you don't want to be looking at a book, that's fine. It'll be on the screen. And um, we're going to be real explicit this morning about how marriage is a picture of the gospel. In fact, hopefully, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today will tie in everything we've talked about this weekend. And, um, and I just want to say this, that as we, as we go into this, you know, if there are some of you who are here, we talked about this last night, who are not believers then we, we, to quote Paul, we urge you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, that is, um, we, as, I mean, even as, uh, as Rob pointed out in, on the first day when we were when just introducing the weekend, when Scripture says Jesus himself says what God has joined together, let's not let, don't let man separate. And what... Jesus is saying fundamentally about marriage is that when two people become one, that this is something that God has done. There is something that we don't understand about the unity that comes in marriage, and that is a unity of God knitting two people together. And that marriage in itself is explicitly Christian. On a side note, if you're wondering why marriage is being attacked In our culture today, it's because that's the quickest way to get to the gospel. Marriage is is and has always been a picture of the gospel. And what we're going to see in Ephesians 5, ironically, is that from the beginning, when God instituted marriage with the first man and the first woman and brought them together, that that was about the gospel. Marriage is has always been about the gospel. And so you can't talk about marriage without talking about the gospel. And every marriage is supposed to be a Christian marriage. And specifically, the way that Paul is addressing it in Ephesians chapter 5, he's kind of laying out in Ephesians, uh, just like a lot of uh, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote a bunch of books in the Bible, and he kind of follows the same pattern most of the time. The first half of the book or more, he will spend on, this, these are gospel truths. These are things that are true about you. Nerdy theologians will talk about these being the indicatives. These are things that are true about you and the gospel. It's propositional facts. And then he will turn and go into what we call the imperatives. These are the commands in Scripture. And it's basically, in light of all of these things, then do this, right? The, one of the most quoted passages in Scripture um, in the New Testament is Romans 12, 1, right? I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, right? 
yourselves living sacrifices, right? That's the turning point. Usually in each book, there is a turning point where he goes from these are the good, amazing, true gospel truths and now start applying them. So what we're looking at is we're looking at the tail end of Ephesians and we're in the middle of that practical application part of the passage. But we can't overlook the fact that this only comes on the heels of all these amazing gospel truths. So let me read our passage, and then we'll start working through it. My, I, my plan is to just stick to this text, to walk through this text, see what it is that God is trying to teach us through this, how we can apply that to our lives, and where we individually need to apply this as husbands and wives. And what's really great is that it's not ambiguous at all. There's going to be a part of it where it'll say, wives... And that's for wives. And there's a part that says husbands. That's for husbands. It's really clear. I get an easy passage to work through. So let me, we're, we're going to start a little bit further back so that we can have, you know, the immediate context is the gospel is really great and wonderful. Now, how do we live in it? So in Ephesians 5, uh, starting in verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. We'll get back to that because it's kind of confusing. Doesn't that just kind of comes out of left field? Anyway, um, then addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to uh, to your heart. Nope. To the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does a church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So you see, I mean, this is super practical, right? And so we, we need to think of kind of Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians as kind of a funnel, you know, just directing specifically towards us individually. Because we're, if you're here and you're married, then you're specifically in this passage. So, you know, like I said, he started off with big gospel truths. This is uh, Ephesians 1, it's that really wonderful passage explaining the gospel, how, and how you know, we were predestined before the foundation of the world for adoption as sons and daughters, right? That's awesome. And then in chapter two, where that uh, Adam read beforehand that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we were made alive together with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. This is what the gospel has done for us in an in general sense, right? This is, this is the big gospel truths and it's getting smaller and smaller. Then in, in Ephesians, it's really interesting. He uses the uh, he uses the kind of the illustration, the picture of walk, of walking. These are how you should walk in light of the gospel that's been given to you. These are how you, this is the way that you're supposed to walk, right? And, and it actually encompasses more than just your gait, you know, like don't have a limp. No, it's like 
It has to do with your entire way of life. This is how you should walk. So in Ephesians 4.1, when he, when he makes the turn, because uh, Ephesians goes, to, it's pretty easy. First three chapters, these are the good gospel truths. The last three chapters, here's how you apply them. So then it's kind of narrowing down. So chapter 4, 1, we see walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's getting this idea of walking. So we need to walk. And, and I just read that real quick, but I mean, we could spend a day, right? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Well, what's that? Well, he's already told us that we're sons and daughters of God, right? So that walk in that. And then in 5, 2, walk in love. And then he even qualifies that as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We're going to come back to that because that's in our text also. Then in 5, 8, walk as children of the light. And then we get to the passage we just read, right, where it says, now we need to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, not as foolish, but making the most of our time. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend this time, hopefully, making the most of it. And we're going to be talking about how are we living? How are we walking? How are we living in light of this gospel that's been laid out before us? We can't divorce ourselves from that gospel. So our marriages need to be lived out in light of that gospel. And so he's going to give us more instructions. So we're talking about these are Christian marriages. These are big gospel truths that are now coming down. And then we get to that point in verse 18 that's kind of weird. Don't be drunk with wine out of the middle of nowhere. Well, think about it. He's not just, he's not like man, these people are drinking too much. I need to just throw this in here real quick. Oh, you know, you guys need to walk wisely. By the way, stop drinking so much. Um, although, if that's the case, you, know, you need to apply scripture the way that it needs to be applied. But what he's doing is intentionally making a comparison. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you think about that. Somebody who's intoxicated... If they're filled with wine, it's going to change everything about them, the way that they think, the way that they act, right? The way that they walk. So he's saying, don't be filled with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's now, he's helping us understand, well, how do we live this out? Because the things that we're called to this morning as we look at as husbands and wives, these are impossible. <laughs> Sorry. Pack it up. Let's get out of here. They're impossible. You can't do this on your own. You know that list of stuff that Brody was talking about last night? You can't change your partner. You can't perfectly know your, your spouse. Well, sure, you can't perfectly know any, but you can't perfectly know you. And you're not going to be able to fulfill this. But you know, if you're empowered by the Spirit, you can. Jesus said that when you have the Spirit, you can do greater things than I have done. Managing a household falls underneath that. Loving your husband or your wife falls underneath that. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what's really interesting is at the end of that first, uh, first paragraph we read in verse 21 is where he makes, a, it, he makes a turn. He pivots and in so doing connects these together. So being filled with the Spirit. And then he says, submitting to one another in reverence of Christ, for Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Okay, and so what's really interesting is that there's, um, there's a, uh, commentators disagree on whether or not this should actually go at the end of that paragraph or at the beginning of this paragraph. I think it probably has to go at the beginning of this paragraph. The reason why I say that is because when we jump in and it says, wives, submit to your own husbands, I need to make a confession to you. 
I'm kind of a nerd. I don't know if you guys have noticed. Specifically, I really enjoy diagramming sentences. I can't help myself. It's so fun. Um, But what's really interesting is when you look in this, um, yeah, I know. It's embarrassing. Okay. We've all got our issues, people. Um, What's really fascinating is that in the original text, the, when it, it's got, it says here the, where it says wives submit to husbands, the word submit is not there. What? Burn it. That's because it's drawing that. It's drawing the wives submitting to your husband. It's coming from submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And I think that's providing this really cool umbrella for what he's getting ready to talk to with wives and husbands. But even more so than that, if you're familiar with the text, it goes on and talks about children and parents. And then it goes and talks about servants and masters. And all of that is under the umbrella of submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And all of that is coming out of being filled with the Spirit. So what we need to understand primarily here when we're talking about this is that if we are being filled with the Spirit, that will lead to us submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And now again, he says in the fear of the Lord because when we're submitting to one another, we're actually doing so in fear of Christ, in submitting to the Lord. Our submission to the Lord is a submission to the role that we are called in in marriage. Right now, specifically for the wives, that means... Also, a submission to the husband. That's what he says right here, right? So wives, submit to your own husbands, right? This coming from... And uh, Spencer and I were talking about this earlier. I think, and it's really fascinating, both times, if you guys are diagrammers, uh, both times where it says wives, submit to your husbands, the verb is not there and it has to be supplied from the context. So here it's submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And the other one, right after this, it says, so the church submits to Christ. And so wives to husbands. Word submits, not there. And I think, it's, I think the reason for that is because you guys know that in the culture that this was written in, the, not the Christian culture, but the outside Greco-Roman world, that women were seen as subordinate people, right? And so I, I think that he's intentionally writing this in such a way that he couldn't be taken out of context. He can't just automatically quote him and say, here, wives submit to husbands. Because if you're going to quote him, you have to quote him in context, Oh, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, just like wives to husbands. Okay. The church submitting to Christ and also wives to husbands. And it's a softer, I think it's a softer way. It's not an oppressive lordship. And that's where, um, where people get super confused about Christianity because they will try to use the words of Christianity to say something that Christianity doesn't say. They'll say, oh, look, wives are supposed to obey their husbands. See how oppressive and chauvinistic that is? Well, no, it's not. Right? We're saying that A wife is supposed to be submissive to her husband, but it's in this umbrella of our submission to the Lord and our submitting to the role that God has called us to. Because someone has to be leading, and God has called men to do that. So we'll see here. So wives should submit to their husbands. And then um, he qualifies this. It's really interesting with two things. Um, He qualifies it by saying, uh, one, is uh, to their husbands. Right? So this isn't a wholesale. Because... Another thing is the word that's translated wives could also be translated women at different times. Usually it's wives, but it's not saying that all women need to submit to all men. He's saying wives need to submit to their husbands. And then it says, as to the Lord. 
whoa, that's huge, right? So they need to submit to the Lord. But obviously, right, you don't worship your husband, um, but you submit to the leadership of your husband because this is the role that God has called you to, and this is the way that marriage works best. If we're going to see it in light of what Scripture has laid out for us, and we're doing so mutually in submission to each other and to Christ— all right. It says, but then it's so interesting. In both times where he's given a specific instruction to husbands and wives, Paul is so obsessed with the gospel that he can't help but go on tangents. Do you see that? It says, says that uh, so wives uh, submit to the husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. You know, it's like. He's, he's still drawing us back to that. We have to, because it doesn't make sense apart from the gospel. So um, hus- uh, wives submitting to their husband because Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. And so we're seeing this is the example. So the paradigm that is being set for us. And now this is, this is really cool because it helps us understand that marriage is very important in and of itself. But it draws even more importance from the picture that it's pointing towards. That there's this drama that we have been called to as husbands and wives and wives are supposed to play the role of the church in submission to Christ and Christ and, and husbands are supposed to play the role assigned to them. And their role is to play Jesus. Well, it's crazy. What a, what a, what a crazy responsibility and privilege, right? So then, so then for wives, um, it says in this, uh, so, um, so, uh, wives, again, the word submit is not there. It's as the church, it is here, submits to Christ. So wives, their husbands. So the negative of this is that wives don't be like Eve. Right? What we were talking about yesterday. There was not, there was not a healthy submission there. And what we see is in, the, in that next chapter is that in the curse that's given, this has made it even harder for women. It says your desire is going to be to rule over your husband. And w- women, you need to understand that. You need to understand that innate, in our fallen state, the way that that affects you is that your desire is to rule over your husband. It's the same. It's only that, that, that phrase is only used a couple times in the, in the Old Testament. The, the next one you see is where sin is crouching at the door to try to take, to, to try to kill. Well, Okay. So, but for, for women, don't be like Eve. Don't try to rule over your husband. Don't try to manipulate him into making the decision that you want. Just honor, submit. Now, that seems pretty heavy. Seems like it's one-sided, right? This is difficult. One of the, if, as we go through this, there's just a short passage for women, for wives, but the most of it is geared towards the men, and it's an even higher standard. And if a husband is doing what he should be doing well, then it should be a joy and a delight to submit. Because we don't say, oh man, I can't believe that Jesus wants the church to submit to him and his leadership. How oppressive. No, it's a joy and it's a delight, right? So then husbands, real simple, command, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Now, it's so interesting. 
says that what we're doing is we're seeing again this privilege and responsibility that's given to the man that his job is to look to Jesus to see what Jesus did and specifically says love the church and gave himself up for it. So if we're going to summarize this in something that's really easy to package up and take home is that husbands need to have a self-sacrificial love for their wife. A self-sacrificial love for your wife. Man, if we just have that in our minds, boy, how many arguments would that keep us from? You know, I thought Spencer in the panel yesterday with the paper plate was super helpful. Is this worth fighting over? Yes, talk it out. No, drop it. If you're a husband and your job is to have a self-sacrificial love for your wife, then 99% of those things are going to fall over the no, just drop it. And let that be a joy to you, to serve your spouse in that way. Because we're talking about the, the pattern that's been set for you is the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. It says that um, he loved the church and he gave himself up for the church. And then what's crazy is, again, Paul can't help himself but get, get a, go on a tangent about the gospel. Because then he doesn't just say, love, love as Christ loved and gave himself up for it. Then what's he say? So that he could sanctify us. So that he could make us holy so that we could be cleansed through the word, which is the gospel, so that we would be filled with splendor and glory, that we wouldn't have any spot or stain, that we would be holy and without blemish. It's like he's pausing and saying, man, what a glorious gospel. Look at what Jesus has done for us. Now, what's really fascinating is that the fact that it is in this section, it means that husbands also have some sort of role in presenting their wives holy before God. Man, if you thought the other part was heavy. Now, again, when Brody said that last night, right? You can't sanctify your spouse. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, right? But here, husbands are supposed to take an active role in the sanctification of their wife. That part of our job as husbands is to minister the word of the gospel to our wives, to, to aid in her sanctification, in her purity, in her glory, and in her splendor, that's part of what we're supposed to do. So he says, um, it's so interesting because it's like, it says, husbands, he, he goes on, it says, husbands in the same way, are, it, says, it says, should love their wives as their own bodies. And what he, it, it, again, it's, uh, this word has to do with owing a debt. Husbands are obligated. Husbands owe it to love their wives as their own bodies. So we're having this, and and it's so interesting because it seems kind of like a mixed metaphor. But what he's saying is we need to love as our own bodies. And he's going to get to this because Christ, because you guys know there's a bunch of pictures of the church in scripture. So there's the one picture of of the church being the bride of Christ, but then also we're called his body. And he's going to go right, he's going to go right into that. And so husbands should love their wives as their own body. Again, think about this. How much concern do you have for your own body? Lots, right? Most of your time is thinking about the way that you're taking care of your body, what you're going to eat, when you're going to sleep, right? You have so much concern for your body that you don't want it to get hurt. You want to protect it. You're always looking out for your own safety. But he's saying, 
Well, the same concern and care you have for yourself, you need to have for your spouse. But then he goes on, and I think that we need to apply this in two different ways, both physically and spiritually. Right? Because he's just talked about all this stuff about sanctification. Right? So for husbands, we as husbands, we're called to take this role in sanctification, and we need to care as much about our wives' sanctification as our own. Now, I need to pause for a second. One of the things that Gar mentioned yesterday um, in, uh, in the panel was he was talking about how husbands should be concerned with their own holiness. Right? There's a, uh, there's a quote that we use here all the time. It's by a, a pastor's name was Robert Murray McShane. He said, my, he's a pastor, and he's talking about how his people's greatest need from their pastor was his personal holiness. Now, if you're here and you're a husband, that God has called you to pastor your home, and you need to be consumed with your sanctification, with your pursuit of holiness. You need to be, if you're not, you need to be the one getting up early and getting in the word and spending time in prayer over, over your wife and children if you have them. You need to be the one who's studying, who's reading, who's able to teach his home. That's your, that's your job, your calling. And, you know, it's funny, I, I say this all the time, but if you say something about God, then you are a theologian. Okay? You're the pastor and the theologian in your home. You need to be worried about what you're thinking, what you're viewing, what you're seeing, your heart attitude before the Lord and your submission to him. You need to be sanctified and taking part in your own sanctification. And you need to take that same vigor that you have for your sanctification and apply it to your wife. So spiritually, we need to be making sure that we are striving to be like Jesus and helping our spouse be like Jesus. So we need to be asking ourselves, how concerned am I with with my wife's sanctification? And if you're not, then start. You know, minister the word of the gospel to her. Talk about these things. Talk about scripture with each other. Work through stuff. Even like, I know for most of us, we've had really great conversations this weekend after the sessions. Do that more. Right? I mean, and then also, you know, I think from... For, uh, for, for us and for my, uh, for my house, um, we have four kids that are nine, seven, five, and three. And one of the best things that I can do for my wife's sanctification and for my marriage is to take our children and leave the house. Because I don't know if you know this, but practically, if you want to spend time studying the Bible, you need to have time to study the Bible. And so for a lot of us, for husbands, if you're really concerned about your wife's sanctification, and in my situation with little kids, even your wife's sanity, take the kids, get away, provide time for your spouse to pursue the Lord. It's just practical. It's helpful. It goes on. 
And so it's interesting is he grounds this by saying that we are members of Christ's body. To me, this is really, this is really interesting because he, the way that he slams this together, it says, um, husbands should love their wives as their own body. And then it says, he who loves his wife loves himself. We talked about that some, right? Even uh, from 1 Corinthians 7, your body doesn't belong to you. Your wife's body doesn't belong to her. That you need to, you, it's loving your wife is loving yourself, right? It's be, t- take care of her physically and spiritually. And then it says, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Obviously, that's a general speaking. Some people are just psycho. But no one ever hated his own flesh, right? But he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, right? So this is all this is super interesting, the nourish and cherish to, to take care of, to comfort. Um, this, the word cherish is only used two times. The Bible, the other is actually used for a, a mother nursing a baby, this is how the church, this is how Christ has taken care of the church, so we are to take care of our spouses. We need to see our responsibilities to take care of our spouses. And then it says, um, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, and then it's super interesting as he jumps right into Genesis chapter 2. Have you ever seen the way that just, just slam together? So, uh, in the, uh, just as Christ as a church, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Isn't that weird? Isn't it, you know, the old, like, saying when you see a therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for, right? Well, how, does, how do we explain this? It says, we are members of Christ's body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two will become one. Well, he's saying that we are members of Christ's body. In Christ, we have been made one. We have unity with Christ. And for this reason, a man is supposed to leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two become one. He's saying that our unity in Christ has been, we have a picture of what our unity in Christ is supposed to be, and that's marriage and vice versa. Do you see that? And it, what's really cool is then he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What refers to Christ and the church? A man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife. The institution of marriage is pointing towards the gospel. Marriage as an institution, as the first institution. Now, to me, the funniest thing about studying through this is it says this mystery is profound, right? So, I mean... We're reading the Bible. Everything's profound, right? That's we're, the infinite mind of God is being put into words for finite men to read. That's profound. But what's really, what's really funny is I know you guys, most of you, don't look in a Greek dictionary very often, and that's fine. But you'll know what this word is. The word that's trans, that we translate profound is the word. Mega. Yep. What, what Paul is saying is, this mystery is really big. Do you see the irony? To say really big doesn't sound as profound as saying the word profound. But it's like he can't think of anything else. He's like, man, this mystery is like, I don't know, like, Big. It's like huge. It's really big. It's mega big. And I think that's the only way you can describe it. 
Because what he's trying to tell us is that from the beginning of creation, right, when God instituted marriage, the first man, the first woman, right, Brody walked, walked us through a little bit the other night, like, remember when, when God created, after he created everything, he looked at it and he made a pronouncement on it. He said, this is good, right? Because this is good. And then before sin entered the world, God looked at his creation and said, this is not good. He said, this is not good. It's not good that man should be alone. Because when God set out in, in Genesis 1.27 to make man in his image, that he, wasn't, he, hadn't, he hadn't completely replicated his image until he'd made man and woman to have two become one. Then he was done. He, he'd replicated the image of God and also created a pattern for the gospel that we are members of Christ's body because a man and woman are supposed to come together and two become one. And what this means is this mystery is profound. This is really, really big. That means that your marriage is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. Okay? Like it's really cool theologically to sit back and be like, isn't this awesome? The institution of marriage is a picture of the gospel. That's mega big. But we can't leave it there. Because if you're married, God has brought you together. The two have become one. And your marriage is a picture of the gospel. And you need to understand that the way that you interact as husbands and wives whether you're fulfilling the role that God has assigned you or not, you are proclaiming something with your marriage. You're proclaiming something to the non-believing world with your marriage. Is it the gospel? Right? We've been talking, right? The whole thing, we're focused on this is a gospel-centered marriage. Is your marriage a picture of the gospel? It is in theory, Right? Can't help but be. But are you practically living out the gospel in your marriage? And in so doing, is the way that you treat your spouse pointing people to the gospel? That's heavy. That's, that's what we have to think through, right? So practically, let's have some practical things. For husbands, again, are you having a self-sacrificial love for your spouse? Right? We talked about 1 Corinthians 7. Even, you know, physically, you need to be serving your spouse. Are you serving your spouse? Are you dying to yourself to serve your spouse? Are you giving of yourself like Jesus did for your spouse? You know, for, um, for, for Jesus, the pattern that we have is that he was beaten beyond recognition and crucified. That's what it looked for Christ to have a self-sacrificial love. For us, it looks like washing dishes and vacuuming and laundry and honeydews. Is that something we need to fight over in comparison to being beaten beyond recognition, crucified? It should be a delight for us to serve our spouse. Why? Because we should love them the way that we love ourselves. Because we're members of one body. That's what Christ did. And that's what we're called to. 
Because it's not just about your comfort. It's about the gospel. It's not about, well, I'm just not happy with this. It's about the gospel. It's about a deeper joy, right? Did Jesus enjoy the cross? Of course not. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that for us to be able to mimic in our daily lives, this love for our spouse is glorious, right? We're talking about presenting our spouse in splendor before God. That's what we're called to. It means ministering the gospel to your wife. It means anticipating her needs and taking care of them. It means like giving up, sacrificing preferences for inconsequential things. If you can set a pattern of sacrificing preferences for inconsequential things, then when you take a stand for a principle to lead, it'll be so much easier for your wife to follow. And wives, you need to follow. You need to respect. You need to honor. I thought, man, again, what Bethany was sharing um, in the panel yesterday. Suppose you're personality, your natural inclination is to twist things to your will, to manipulate to your will. Yeah, I know. We saw that from the beginning. If that's your natural like personality and inclination, then the, there's a word that the Bible uses for that. That's your flesh. And we're supposed to put that to death in service of the role that we've been called to. For us to do this right, it's going to be hard for both of us because we're having to naturally do things that we don't want to do, right? Is it natural to be selfless? No, for either one of us. But that's what we've been called to, and we have a perfect picture of it. And so what we're seeing here is more than just this really cool, big theological point, but it comes down to practical What are we doing in our daily lives in the way that we're treating our spouse that other people would be able to watch and see and say, man, that's gospel. We got to remember that. I think it's so important for us as we, uh, that's the last thing I just wanted to close in, is that our marriages are proclaiming a message. It, and It might right now be a message of selfishness or convenience. But the message it needs to be presenting is the gospel. And that is what we've been called to. We have to submit to one another as we're submitting to the role that Christ has called us to in reverence for him. So what we'll do, we're we're done. I'm going to pray for us. uh, um, Adam and the band are going to lead us in some songs, worship together. But what we need to do is you guys all have a trip home. I mean, you got to talk this stuff out. You have to. And for most of you, it, I know for me personally, it's not so much I need to talk things out with my spouse. But I need to talk things out with the Lord. I need to go before the Lord and ask him to show me areas that I've been selfish, that I've been trying to use my marriage for my own advantage. I've tried to make it self-serving instead of serving. Because if I'm making it, if you're making your marriage self-serving, you're not presenting the gospel well. So let's let's individually take that time 
with the Lord, pray, ask the Lord to show you, man, how am I preaching the gospel or not in my marriage? What do I need to do to change? And then you do need to get accountability. For some of you, it, it means with your spouse. Some of you need to, there needs to be apologies. You need to say, man, I have been a selfish jerk. Some of you, you need to find another, um, another guy or another woman and say, these are things that I've been doing to realize are unhealthy habits. I need some accountability. You know, it may not be something that you want to, that you have to say to your spouse if it's just going to bring up stuff that's been in your, in your heart and in your head, you know, confess that to the Lord, get good accountability and work on that relationship. Change now so that husbands, we can love our wives as Christ loved the church and wives, we can submit to husbands as the church, as, as the church does to Christ. And it'll be a joy as we live this out and we'll be ministering the gospel to each other and to the world. All right, so let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word, and I do pray that you will help us to apply it well. I, uh, I pray that for each one of our marriages that we will see them, we will evaluate our marriages in light of the gospel, not in light of friends or what the world is saying or just because we've been married long enough, but help us to evaluate in light of the gospel. I pray that you will, your Holy Spirit will, will fill us and that that filling will lead to submitting to your will and to each other and that you will be exalted, you will be glorified. I pray that you will reveal to us ways in which we are not presenting the gospel in our marriages, that we will confess, repent that before you and that we'll change and that we'll love well. God, we thank you for this glorious gospel that you've given, that you've given to us and help us to live it out well. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.